I hope that no matter what happens, people always feel like I listened. On tonight's KRBD Evening Report, a conversation with Ketchikan's incoming Superior Court judge. Plus, some city facilities could get new names. And Wrangell now has a state child services caseworker for the first time in 15 years. All that and more coming up. First, let's take a look at the weather. Scattered rain showers tonight with lows around 40 and southeast winds to 15 miles an hour. Friday, widespread rain showers with highs in the mid-40s, southeast winds to 25 miles an hour. Friday night, scattered rain showers with lows in the mid-30s, southeast winds to 10 miles an hour. On Saturday, rain showers likely highs in the mid-40s, southeast winds to 15 miles an hour, and chance of rain showers Saturday night with lows around 30. It's the KRBD Evening Report. I'm Eric Stone. There is a changing of the guard on the top regional court for the Southern Panhandle. Both of the Ketchikan Superior Court's longtime judges are hanging up their robes. Judge William Carey retired last month after more than a decade hearing cases from Ketchikan, Wrangell, Petersburg, and Prince of Wales Island. Judge Trevor Stevens, the other half of the Ketchikan Superior Court bench, is set to retire at the end of May. Earlier this month, Governor Mike Dunleavy chose Carey's successor, Dan Doty. The 34-year-old former federal prosecutor is among the youngest people to be appointed as a Superior Court judge in Alaska's history, according to the independent commission that nominates state judges. Doty's Alaska roots run deep. He moved to the state as a four-year-old when his father was stationed at Ielsen Air Force Base south of Fairbanks. He returned to Alaska as a district attorney in Bethel and Dillingham after graduating from the William & Mary Law School in Virginia in 2013. He also did a brief stint in private practice in Anchorage. He moved to Fairbanks about three years ago for his most recent job as an assistant U.S. attorney. But, as he told me, he's always yearned to get back off the road system. My wife and I are not... Uh, big city kind of people. Fairbanks is even a little bit bigger than the places that we feel most comfortable. For my whole career in Alaska, I've always heard people say how wonderful Ketchikan is. It, it reminded us of a lot of the things that we loved about living in Dillingham. It's there by the ocean. Uh, we actually are folks that kind of enjoy those rainy, misty mornings. You know, after that visit, it became pretty clear that uh, putting in for this position would be great um, and that we'd really love being down there. Well, yeah, we do have plenty of misty mornings, that is for sure. <laughs> so you have, a, you, have a, you have a wide diversity of experience. What made you want to uh, take the next step and become a judge? So I've always wanted to be a judge since the beginning of my career. Um, and the main reason for that is that I want to do the most good that I can for the most people that I can. You know, and you can do a lot of that as as a prosecutor, you know, it's your obligation to help your whole community. But being a prosecutor, a lot of times you're only looking at what might be even the worst five minutes of someone's life. Whereas if you're a judge, you know, you're working on everything. You're working on adoptions, child custody. Um, you even do some marriages, you do some divorces, you do business disputes, personal injury. You really, you know, handle and decide those significant legal issues that are important in people's lives, every aspect of people's lives from the beginning to the end. Um, and being able to have that role in a community and to, you know, take on that responsibility um, and to help people in that way, that's why I wanted to be a judge. While he spent most of his career as a prosecutor, Doty told me he's committed to treating all defendants fairly. He says that ethos has guided his career even as a state's attorney. The 
best prosecutors are people who recognize that their job isn't just to put people in jail, it's to do the right thing. And with some people, that's going to mean giving second chances. For me, I've always tried to strike that balance in my career. Going back to Bethel, I was um, our rehabilitative courts coordinator out there for a long time. I actually significantly expanded uh, the membership in the Bethel Therapeutic Court uh, and worked on, you know, giving second chances to those people who really deserved them and just needed a little bit of extra help. Additionally, just in my uh, personal experience, my oldest sister actually uh, died of a drug overdose when I was in law school. And, you know, I've understood kind of the role that addictions play in people's lives and understood how important it really is to kind of see people for the whole person and understand that, you know, what might be a single bad moment in their life is not necessarily the thing that defines them as, as a whole person. I wanted to finish by asking, you know, what, what do you want people to take away from this conversation? You know, what, what do you want people to know about you as you become the next Superior Court judge? The thing that I want folks to, to know, and I hope that uh, it'll come through in my experience as a judge, is that I'm committed to the community, uh, and I'm committed to making sure that everyone feels like they were treated fairly. You know, they might not come away happy with the outcome, there's never a case where, you know, you've got two sides to a lawsuit or a case where everyone comes away feeling like they won. But I hope that no matter what happens, people always feel like I listened and um, like I understood and like I applied the law fairly to the case that was in front of me. That was Dan Doty, who was recently appointed as Ketchikan's next Superior Court judge. He says he's aiming to start work in mid-April. Well, Ketchikan City Hall, the city council chambers, and a park near the city-owned cruise ship berths could get new names. The city council is set to consider renaming the facilities tonight. The city's main administration building would officially be designated the Carl R. Amelon City Hall. Former Mayor Bob Sievertson suggested the new name. He says it's a fitting honor for Ketchikan's former city manager of 26 years who died last year shortly after retiring. Sievertson says Amelon played a critical role in guiding the community's growth. When he first came, you know, we were a, a small community doing what small communities do. And um, it was shortly after that we started to gain the notoriety as a tourism destination. So um, that in itself took a lot of planning and uh, financial maneuvering. And, and we see those docks as the conduit for commerce to the community. And he, and he, he promoted that very well. Sievertson proposed renaming the city council chambers after former mayor, council member, and Ketchikan Daily News co-publisher Lou Williams III, who died in 2020. He served as an elected official for more than three decades. Lou had this unique quality of of interacting with people and and, uh, striving to make Ketchikan better. This was his home, as as a lot of us uh, see it, and um, he embodied, uh, I think, the... uh, the fairness and openness of um, the mayor's office and as a council member. Sievertson also suggested renaming a park overlooking Berth 3 of the city-owned cruise ship docks after a figure who promoted Ketchikan as a destination for tourists, businessman Len Lawrence, who died last year. At one point, before we ever built a dock or saw those cruise ships coming, he said that Ketchikan would see a million tourists, and he was correct. 
he was always optimistic and he you know promoted tourism as uh, being one of the major legs of the stool for the economy of Ketchikan. The small green space is informally known as Eagle Park for the iconic Nathan Jackson totem it hosts, known as Thundering Wings. In a letter to the city, a former council member, Mike Harpold, says the park celebrates Ketchikan's founding and native heritage and asks the council to reconsider the new name. He suggests instead placing Lawrence's name on a bench or plaque within the park. Ketchikan's city council is set to consider the new names tonight. In other business, the council is set to consider a lease with First City Homeless Services for a new 24-hour shelter at 632 Park Avenue. The former warehouse for the city's water department served as the community's overnight warming shelter for the winter of 2020. Last year, the council approved a construction of a 1,280-foot square foot addition to the building. City officials say the addition is now nearly finished, and they're aiming for the homeless services organization to move back in April 1st. When the new facility opens, it'll be the first permanent 24-7 homeless shelter in Ketchikan, a temporary 24-hour shelter operated out of Ketchikan's rec center in the early days of the pandemic. Ketchikan's City Council meets at 7 p.m. Thursday in the Council Chambers at City Hall. The full agenda is available online. There's time set aside for public comment at the beginning of the meeting, and the meeting is live-streamed at the city's website and local cable channels. For the first time in almost 15 years, Wrangell has a local caseworker from the State Office of Children's Services. As KSTK's Sage Smiley reports, it's the result of a community effort and commitment to bring an agency staffer back to the island. The State Office of Children's Services, or OCS, is tasked with protecting minors from dangerous and abusive living situations. It's short on staff and underfunded, although Governor Mike Dunleavy has promised increased funding to child welfare services in the state. Wrangell lost its local OCS worker more than a decade ago, in 2008. But a few years ago, the small Southeast Island community began a campaign to get a local worker from the Office of Children's Services back on the island. OCS Director Kim Gway says the department heard the call. Wrangell started popping up as, you know, wanting to advocating for themselves about how can we do things differently in regards to serving our our families that uh, need child protective uh, services. Last year, the community succeeded in getting partial funding for a local OCS position through the legislature and across the governor's desk, with the help of Ketchikan Independent Representative Dan Ortez. Now, for the first time since 2008, there's an OCS worker based in Wrangell, tucked into a corner office in the community's public safety building. Gway says it's a unique setup. Around OCS, we have never partnered with a city and kind of jointly financing a position. The office space for the local OCS worker is provided by the city and borough of Wrangell. The community also promised to pitch in about $70,000 to cover half of the staffer's salary and benefits. This is new. There's you know, definitely hiccups of trying to figure out how this, you know, how do we get office supplies and who, you know, what internet, you know, like all those things that you don't normally think about. Um, it, you know, this is all newer for us and uh, the city of Wrangell. That new staffer is Jennifer Ridgway. She's a longtime family mediator and former employee of the Wilderness Behavioral Health Program Alaska Crossings, which shut down earlier this year. She started in her job at OCS in Wrangell in February. She told KSTK by email that she's thrilled to be back in Wrangell and hopes to be able to help strengthen local families during difficult times. 
Ridgeway won't just cover cases in Wrangell. She'll also serve nearby communities like Petersburg and Cake, in line with an agreement approved last month by local authorities. But having Wrangell as a home base will be huge, says Wrangell's middle and high school's top administrator, Bob Davis. He's spoken to the local school board repeatedly about the need for a local caseworker. The problem with not having a local person, uh, well, first of all, the OCS, you know, is, is overworked immensely. And, you know, like anybody who's overworked, people are going to grab and deal with what's in front of them. So by not having anybody in Wrangell, we kind of get pushed to the back of the line. And that can be pretty traumatizing to our kids. I mean, we've had situations where the OCS couldn't be here for three or four days. Police, our local police, don't have the authority and so we're having to send kids back to some pretty awful situations. So by having somebody that's local, um, hopefully that won't happen. In fact, in the weeks since Ridgeway has been on the job, it's already been an improvement, Davis says. Well, it's already having an impact. I get phone calls from her, which is something that's unheard of in the past. She's easy to reach. She seems to be on top of things. Now it's early on, but I am hopeful. Though Governor Mike Dunleavy has unilaterally nixed funding for a Wrangell OCS office in the past, agency officials are confident that the new job will be immune to line-item vetoes. But that's only half the battle, says OCS's Pam Halloran. You know, the same question would be for the city of Wrangell because they've committed 50% of the cost as well. If they can maintain and, and that funding uh, for, for years to come, too. Wrangell's borough manager, Jeff Good, says having an OCS office in town is a boon for the community. Some of the, the cases that we do have here locally, having someone that is local and understands everyone here as well and, and knows people here, I think it's a good thing for the community. And, and I think for us, it's just making sure we document the cases we do have so that we can then build support for that position moving forward. OCS Director Gway says that if the partnership proves successful, the agency could consider replicating the local state partnership in other communities. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. That's it for tonight's KRBD Evening Report. I'm Eric Stone.